Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. For standing, you can be seated. Thanks. Hey, real quick before I start, um, so we all have a shape, a physical shape, right? And so, yeah, round, mine too. <laughs> but a lot goes into our physical shape, whether um, kind of like what we eat, maybe how much we eat, how much exercise we get, genetics, that all goes to play into our physical shape. Well, our spiritual lives are the same way. We can have a spiritual shape, and a lot of things go into make up our spiritual shape. And so we're, we're going to have a workshop, it's which basically a one-night class coming up on Thursday, June 30th, about a week and a half, that will help us to understand our spiritual shape. Shape is an acronym that, that stands for something that you'll learn in the class, but we all have a spiritual shape with a lot of things that make it up. We're going to talk about that. So if you're interested, you can sign up at the Welcome Center or on the website for that class, but I think it's going to be a good one. So I encourage you, sign up. All right, so for today's message, I'm going to start um, by, with a top 10 list. We've been doing this over the last few weeks, um, but my top 10 list today is top 10 things every father loves. Top 10 things every father loves. And so this, I got this from like top10.com or something, but there was a website where they have all these lists and people vote on like, the, and that's how it becomes number one or two and it gets on the list. So these are people that are voting for these. So the top 10 things every father likes. Uh, number 10 is their family. Their family. That's good that made the list. I was hoping it might be a little higher, but 10, we'll take it. Um, number nine, all fathers like the Sopranos. The Sopranos. To be perfectly honest with you, I, full disclosure, I've never seen it. I've never seen it, so I don't know. Number eight is Breaking Bad. Every father likes Breaking Bad. Full disclosure, I've seen that one several times, so, and that's good. Um, number seven, movies. Every father likes movies. No genre, just certain movies, okay? Um, number six, fast food. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There, there. Now, we're now we're starting to touch people. I hear some yeses. Me too, fast food. So number six was fast food. Number five is their wife's food. Every father loves their wife's food. So the other group, the other group, they got a little better. That is a TV dinner, kind of a joke. Sorry, Lori. This, I, I'm, not, I'm not, this is not a reflection on my wife. So number four, all fathers like video games. Video games. I think it's because of a younger generation is starting to have kids. Um, number three, the third thing that every father likes is their wife. Yeah, their wife. Yep. That's my redemption. That's my redemption picture. So, so yeah, they like their Number two, every father likes their children. Their children. So, <laughs> my son's sitting right here and he loves that picture. <laughs> he, gave me, he gave me a look a little dirtier than that one. So, <laughs> I did that on purpose. So you might be wondering, okay, every father likes their wife is three, their children are number two. What's number one? The number one thing that every father likes is football. Football. So there you go. 
There you go. I'm glad our wife and children are on the list. <laughs> Football's above them, so I've never been prouder to be a man today than that, right? So, well, we've been sharing these top 10 lists because we are in a summer series called Top 10, and it's a study of the 10 commandments. And so today we are going to pick up, there's been two weeks, go and watch those if you have not. We are going to pick up today with the story of Joseph, Joseph. So Joseph is the son of Jacob. And just so you remember, there is, um, there's a genealogy that will come up. There's Jacob. Jacob is, is, um, comes up from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. God said he's going to bless the genealogy that way. And so Joseph is one of 12 sons of, of Jacob. And those 12 sons, there's a genealogy up there. They become the 12 tribes of, of Israel. That God says, these are gonna, I'm blessing you this way. These are going to be the 12 tribes. There's importance in there because there's a story of Joseph in there. Um, you see Levi on there. Levi is the father of Moses. We'll talk about him later. And also Judah, number four, the fourth child. Um, Judah, um, that genealogy, if you track that all the way down, it goes through Jesse and David, King David, all the way down to um, Mary and Jesus. So that's the genealogy of Jesus in there is Judah. So Jesus comes from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we're going to spend most of our time today talking about Joseph within that genealogy. Joseph is the 11th of 12 children. Um, he is the favorite of Jacob. And so Jacob blesses him with a coat. And so when we talk about Joseph, there's Joseph, the father of Jesus, or the stepfather. This is Joseph, Joseph in a technicolor dream coat. That's this Joseph. He's the favorite of Jacob. He gives him a, a, a coat to represent that. Well, one of Joseph's gifts is interpreting dreams. And so he gets this dream, and the dream is that his brothers are going to bow down to him. And so he tells his brothers this. Well, I don't know about you. If you have a brother, I don't know how that would set with you. I have an older brother, and if he said, you're going to eventually one day bow down to me, I'd be like, I'm not so sure about this. So his brothers, the 11, right, they get, they get essentially jealous of Joseph. They're like, no way, like, we're not going to bow down to you. So they decide they are going to kill Joseph. They're going to kill him. So they take him and they're going to they're kill him. Well, then they get actually what they think is a better idea. They say, well, let, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And then we can reap the benefits of that. We can get the money for selling him. So they eventually sell Joseph as a slave. They sell him to an Egyptian, um, an Ishmaelite, which is an Egyptian, and he becomes a slave in the Egyptian um, world. In, in Egyptian, uh, uh, he becomes an Egyptian slave. So when he becomes an Egyptian slave, he is actually Potiphar. He's an Egyptian. He's an Egyptian official. I would equivalent it to like a cabinet member or something like that in our government. Um, there's, there's Pharaoh, and it's one of Pharaoh's assistants is Potiphar. Well, Joseph becomes Potiphar's assistant. And part of, of why he becomes Potiphar's assistant, he gets put in charge of things. Success follows Joseph everywhere he goes. Follows Joseph everywhere he goes. And not only does, does success follow Joseph, it also follows Potiphar as well. And so, right, and this is, remember, this is the genealogy that God says through Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you. 
And so Joseph has God with him, and Joseph is also loyal to God. And because of that, he not only blesses Joseph, but he also blesses everything that Potiphar does and everything that Potiphar has. And remember, who Potiphar is an Egyptian. He is essentially what we would call a non-believer. He's believing and worshiping other gods, not our God, but God still blesses him because of Joseph. And that's very, very important, and it's very, very powerful to know that, that God is going to bless others through Joseph. Just Joseph being loyal to God, he's, gonna, he's going to bless through him. So Joseph then... Um, Right, he's Potiphar's assistant, and he's had success. Well, then, um, it's kind of a longer story. I'm, I'm hitting kind of the bare bones of this, but Joseph then um, kind of gets duped by Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Well, he ends up going to jail because of all of that. And so he goes to jail. Remember, God is still with him. He goes to jail. Well, he essentially becomes the leader of the jail. There's a jail warden, but Joseph, he says he's going to put Joseph in charge of the jail. So again, everywhere that Joseph goes, he has success. Everywhere he goes, he has success. Why? Because God is with him. God is with him. God has promised through Abraham that I'm going to bless that genealogy, and that's Joseph. He's going to bless that and why Joseph, and you say, well, why, why Joseph and not one of his brothers? Or, or, because Joseph also remained loyal to God as well. And so when there's that two-way street, when God's remaining loyal and then say, oh, I'm going to return that favor, there is enormous success that happens through Joseph. I like this part. In Genesis 9, um, 39, 23, this is talking about the warden. It says, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because this, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. All because the Lord was with Joseph. And all, also because Joseph did not turn his back on God. When Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and tried to seduce him, essentially, he said, Joseph said, no, I can't. I'm not going to do that. And then he says, in, in Genesis, you can read it, it says, because I do not want to sin against God. I don't want to sin. It's not for his own personal, but he's saying, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to sin against God. So I'm going to be loyal to my God who is loyal to me. And because of that, success happens. Success happens. You can write this down on your sheet. Good things come to those who not wait. Good things come to those who obey God. Or you can write know God, or you can write follow God, whatever's going to work for you. But those that know God, follow God, obey God, good things happen to them. And so Joseph is back. He's in, he's, so he's in prison still. He's back to interpreting dreams. He's running the prison, interpreting dreams. Well, Pharaoh now, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. This is higher than Potiphar. So the king of Egypt hears about Joseph he hears that he is interpreting dreams. Well, he has a dream that he wants interpreted. So he goes to Joseph and said, hey, this is my dream. What's the interpretation? So Joseph interprets it. He says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have, as a, as a nation, in Egypt, you're going to have seven years of feast, abundance with your crops and, and your livestock. You're going to have seven years of just this abundance. 
But then following that, you're going to have seven years of famine. Seven years of abundance, seven years. You, you hear this a lot like feast or famine. That's where this comes from. You're going to have seven years of feast, good harvest, more than you normally get, and then seven years of basically nothing. And so because of this, Pharaoh's like, okay, you had this dream, or you had this interpretation. I'm going to put you in charge of Egypt now. Like, not over me, but like, you're going to run things for me. And so Joseph says, okay, here's what we're going to do. In the seven years of feast, we are going to just save all of our harvest. We're not going to sell it out. We're just going to keep it, keep it, keep it for seven years. We're going to use what we need, and we're going to keep the abundance part, the extra we're going to keep. And so then when our seven years of famine hits, we're not going to be without food. We're going to have all of this. And so that's what happens. They have seven years of feast. They have seven years of famine. So now go back home to Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name, they call him the 12 tribes of Israel, by the way, because Jacob, God says he's going to um, change Jacob's name to Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel is also the 12 tribes of Jacob. Um, so he goes back. So Jacob is Joseph's dad. They're in a famine as well. And so Joseph, um, or sorry, Jacob sends the other 11. He actually sends 10 of the 11 down to, to Egypt and says, okay, they stored up all this food, go buy some for us because we're in famine. So they go down there and this happens several times, but long story short is Joseph again is in charge of that food and he's given it out to his, to his brothers and he recognizes his brothers, his brothers don't recognize him. Later on, Joseph says, hey, do you know who I am? I'm your brother, Joseph. Oh, so Joseph reveals himself and basically Joseph and the brothers like make up. There's, there's reconciliation that happens. And Joseph says, hey, go home to dad and I want you to move the entire family down here to Egypt. You can be closer to me. Remember, I run this land for the king, for Pharaoh. I run it for him. So you guys come down and I'll take care of you essentially. And so they do. So all um, the tribes of Israel, they move to Egypt and live through the famine there. So this is happening, the, the famine happens. Well, then Pharaoh dies, okay? Pharaoh dies, and essentially what happens from that, a new king comes in, and they call him Pharaoh too, so it can be confusing. But the new Pharaoh, the new king, doesn't have any loyalty to Joseph. Joseph has died, and there's no loyalty there. And so he's saying, well, we don't need um, these Egyptians. They are these Israelites. The Israelites come down, and they start to multiply right? They're living in this land, they're multiplying, and they're getting to the point where they're getting so numerous that they're going to they're gonna outnumber the Egyptians. Well, the new pharaoh gets nervous about this, and he basically says, hey, we have to limit this because they're going to overtake us. If war happens, they're going to be so numerous that they're going to overtake us, so we need to, to basically restrict them we need to turn them into slaves so they will serve us. And so that's what happens is he goes and he turns the, the, the Egyptians, then turn the Israelites into slaves because they're becoming more numerous. And so, so when you hear about like, right, you always hear about the Israelites and they freed and we're going to talk about this next week when they and going across the Red Sea and all that, they, they got them out of slavery. Well, that's how they got into slavery. It's important to understand that. And it's also important to understand that the Israelites, even though they're slaves, that's still the same genealogy through Abraham that God says, I'm going to bless. 
And so God is still with them. And they become more and more numerous. And so you, you might ask yourself, like, the Israelites came down to Egypt. They're kind of getting turned into slaves. Like, why don't they just leave? Why don't they go back? Their, their, their home is called Canaan. That's in like modern day Israel now. Why don't they just go back? Well, an important event happened that I, that I mentioned, and that was that Joseph died. Joseph is their leader. Their leader dies. And we can assume, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can assume that, that Joseph's brothers, the 11 brothers, probably also died at some point in there as well. And so the Israelites have no leader. And when they have no leader, they're lost. And they essentially put themselves into slavery when they could have just went on back home. We're out of here, we're gonna go. But without a leader, they're confused and they're lost. And I think that is an important lesson that we can learn today. That we need to have important, we need to have godly leaders. It is important for us to have godly leaders in our lives. And so you can write this in. We are lost without a leader. Just like the Israelites were lost without Joseph, we can be lost without a leader. And so what does that mean for us? There are certain things in our life that we can control, some things we can't control. If we, the areas that we can control it, we should be following a godly leader. I'm going to give you one example, and it's, but it's beyond this, but it's an example of, so like work. You can work for a company that is a Christian company, a godly company. We have a guy that goes to our church. He just left a job and went to a new job that he liked so much more. And he said, I'm working for a, a Christian company now. And he can tell a difference. And so in our lives, we, we can have those, we can make those kind of decisions to where we're going to find, to follow a godly leader. But I'm not, I'm not naive. I know that there's times where like, I can't just up and quit my job or do, make these huge life changes just so I can find a godly leader. And so if that's the case for you, I would, I would, I would argue this and I would encourage you to this then you become the godly leader. And again, I'll use work. It's, be, it's broader than work. Does that make sense? It's beyond that. But I'll give you an example. If you work for a company and you're like, well, I can't just quit and go work for a Christian company, then bring Christ to your company. You be the godly leader of your company. And so when it says we are lost without a leader, we either, either need to be that leader, we need to follow a godly leader. I think we can learn that from, from the story of Joseph. All right, so we're going to move on a little bit here from, from Joseph. He had died. The Israelites are now enslaved. Um, they're enslaved. They're becoming more and more numerous again, and Pharaoh knows this. So Pharaoh then puts out an order. He says, these Egyptians are going to overtake us. I'm sorry, I was going to make the Israelites. They're going to overtake us. We need to somehow change this. So he says, he puts in an order that says, every Israelite firstborn son or every son, every boy that is born to Israel, we're going to kill them. The reason for that is, is not just to be, it's to limit their population is what they're trying to do. They're trying to limit the Israelite population. And so that happens. So the, they start, Israelites start having boys and they're killing them. Well, there's one mother, she has a boy 
and she hides him because she knows it's the only way to save him. I'm going to hide my baby boy so he doesn't get killed. She hides him for three months, and then just it's, it becomes impossible for her to continue to hide him. So she says, okay, well, the only way to save his life is I'm going to put him in a basket, and I'm going to send him down the Nile River. They're, they're, remember, they're in Egypt, they're on the Nile. It's the only way to save him. And so she does this, okay, and sends him down the Nile. Well, that little baby boy, that is Moses. That's Moses. Moses is also in the genealogy. He is Levi's son. Levi and Joseph are brothers. And then like the great-great-grandfather of Moses is Levi. So it's still the same genealogy through Abraham. Does that make sense? And remember the genealogy of Abraham, God said, I'm going to bless you. And so God is with all of that. So God is now with Moses. He's with Moses there. He saved his life as an infant. Okay, and you're going to see how God continues to be with Moses. So anyway, Moses eventually gets adopted by an Egyptian. It's actually Pharaoh's daughter, um, you know, high-ranking. So he becomes, and he grows up as an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. In, in the book of Exodus, we're in the book of Exodus now, they will also call the Israelites Hebrews. So Moses is a Hebrew by birth, but he's growing up as an Egyptian. And so he does all this. Well, he goes out into the wilderness one day. And remember, the Egyptians are still in slave, like they still have slaves that are Hebrews. So he goes out to kind of witness this. Well, there's an Egyptian soldier, an Egyptian boy that is whipping or beating a Hebrew. And Moses gets angry about this and he kills that Egyptian. Because remember, bite, he really in his heart, he's a Hebrew. And here's an Egyptian, he's like, I can't let this happen. So he kills the guy. He thinks nobody sees it, but somebody calls him out later and he sees it. So then he flees. So Moses now flees. He's killed an Egyptian. He's saying, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. I've got to leave. So then he leaves and goes to a place called Midian and he's there for 40 years. So during this time, the Hebrews, the Israelites are still enslaved. It's getting harder and harder and harder to become slaves. You know, they're just living generation after generation in slavery. And so they, they cry out to God. They say, we've had enough, God. You have to get us out of slavery. You have to get us out. What, what do we do? And so God, again, remember, he's with the Hebrews. He's with the Israelites. He says, okay, I will get you out of slavery. They say, send us a leader. He says, okay, I'll do that. I'll go get Moses. Moses is going to become that leader. And this all gets revealed to Moses in the burning bush. That's a familiar story with a lot of us where um, G, or God talks to Moses in the burning bush. That's this conversation that God's having. He, that burning bush conversation is him saying, it's God saying, Moses, you're going to lead your true people, the Israelites, out of slavery. There's a scripture in Exodus 3.9, 3, verse 10. I'm sorry, yeah, 3, 9, and 10. And it says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them. This is God talking to Moses. So now go, I am sending you, Moses, to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so Moses has his doubts, but he eventually goes, and he goes to Pharaoh and says, Okay, you're going to have to get my, my people out of Egypt. 
And so Moses is like, okay, well, how am I going to do this? And God basically says, you're going to do this through signs and wonders. I'm going to give you some signs in front of Pharaoh that, that they're going to be revealed to Pharaoh, and that's essentially going to scare him that he'll let, the, he'll let the Israelites go. Okay, so that's kind of the plan. And so Moses and, and, and God kind of have these conversations, and they go back and forth. But God also says, okay, here's what else is going to happen, okay? He's not going to, you're going to try once, and he's not going to let the Israelites go. And you're going to try twice, and he's not going to let them go. God says, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh, the king, on purpose. You can see this in Exodus 4. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you or the power to do but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So God knows this is going to happen. He says, you're going to go and you're going to tell him all these wonders are going to happen and he's going to say no. And you're thinking, wait a minute. God's with the Israelites. Why is he going to say no? He has a plan. Okay. Here's the genealogy of Abraham. God is following them. The, Is or the Egyptians... Okay, the other side of this from, from Abraham, the other side of the genealogy, they are not following God. They are following other gods. They have their own, their own gods that aren't as powerful as the Almighty God. And so part of the 10 plagues that happen is, is God's way to defeat those other gods. There's a a story in, in Exodus as well. So let me back up. There's the 10 plagues are going to happen. Those are the signs and the wonders. And we're going to share the 10 plagues here in a minute. But there's the signs and wonders of the, are the 10 plagues. And they're pretty bizarre. And the reason they're bizarre is because there are Christian theologians or whatever that think that, that the reason of the certain 10 plagues that are kind of bizarre is because they are an example of how our God is defeating the Egyptian gods. He's saying, okay, you're, that's my way. So it's, I'm going to go and I'm going to get you out of Egypt. I'm going to get you out of slavery. That's one reason that I'm going to do these plagues. But the other reason I'm going to do these plagues is I'm going to show that I am the almighty God and I am more powerful than the gods that they are worshiping, that the Egyptians are worshiping. Does that make sense? And so there's, there's Christian thinkers that, that believe that this happens, that, these, that that's why. And there's a story in Exodus that I think proves that. And that is, um, so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, here's what's going to happen. Watch what my God can do. And, and it's actually Aaron's staff. And he throws it on the ground and the staff turns into a snake. I don't know about you. If I would have saw that, first of all, I would have ran because I hate snakes. But that would have like, whoa, if I did that right now, I bet you guys, if I said, here's what God tells me to do, he's going to tell me to take this staff and throw it into a, a snake. And if it happened here, you guys would be like, whoa, we have a powerful God, right? Would you be like that? I would. Pharaoh is not, he's like, that's not a big deal. Watch this. And he calls in his sorcerers and his magicians, and they do the same thing. And they throw their, their staffs on the ground, and it, they become snakes as, as well. He's saying, see, 
Mine can do that too, but then here's what's happened. This is funny. I think this is, it's funny and it's powerful as well. The snake of Aaron's staff, Moses' staff, devours, it says it swallows up the other snakes. That is a sign to me, that is a sign from God that's saying, my God will devour your gods. Because to me, the magicians and the sorcerers are an example of the Egyptian gods. It's not the almighty powerful. And so that happens in Exodus, and that kind of predicts, like, this is what's going to happen. Our God is going to defeat your God. So anyway, so that, that's kind of the story to me that proves this. And so then here are the 10 plagues, and they're just going to come up on the screen, okay? The 10 plagues happen. And what happens after each plague, this isn't what happens, and he says, let my people go, or this is going to happen. Like the first one is the Nile turns to blood. And then after each one of these plagues, Pharaoh still says, no, I'm not letting the Israelites go. They're still going to be slaves. So it happens, he says no. The second one, okay, you said no. So now the plague of frogs happens. Pharaoh still doesn't let the Egyptians go. And in there in this list, you can see, okay, the little part at the, at the right, that is the God, the Egyptian God that, that repre is represented by that certain plague. That's our God defeating their God, saying, oh, I can turn the Nile to blood. But you think, you think happy, the God of the Nile is so powerful? Watch this, I just turn it to, to blood. And happy can't do anything about it because our God is more powerful than their God. Sorry, I just got fired up. But these are the 10 plagues. I'm not gonna read through them. Those are the first five. The other five will come up here. You can read through them. They just represent, those are the plagues that happen. And then in the parentheses, that's the, the god or goddess that is being defeated by our God and what they represent. That's why the plagues are so bizarre. Why the plague of frogs? Why the plague of locusts? Why the plague of gnats? Because our God is, is defeating their gods. He's showing them. Does that make sense? Because I always wondered that, like, why, these, why the plague? They're so bizarre. That's why. It's a, it's a sign that our God is defeating their gods. So anyway, nine plagues happen, okay? And then on the 10th plague, that's the, the death of the firstborn. So God says, okay, they're not happening. And he knows it's gonna happen. He says, okay, so Moses, go back and tell Pharaoh, okay, after nine, go back and tell him, okay, now this one, if, if you don't release us from slavery, if you don't leave, release the Egyptian or the Israelites from slavery, I'm gonna kill every firstborn child and even he goes beyond it, and it was like firstborn livestock and everything. Every firstborn, I'm going to kill, unless you let my people go. And Pharaoh again says, nope, not going to happen. Not letting them go. He said, okay, here it comes. So then God speaks to the Israelites, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do is, I don't want your firstborn to die, so you have to take a lamb, you have to sacrifice, get the blood, and wipe it on your doorframe, essentially. And if you have the, the lamb's blood... On your doorframe, I will not kill your firstborn. I will pass over your firstborn. That's the story of the Passover. That's where it comes from. That's the 10th plague. And so that happens. The Israelites put the, the blood over their doorframe. All the Egyptians, their firstborn dies, but not the Israelites. And then finally, finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I've had enough. You win get out of here. 
you need to get out of here. And so then that's when the exodus happens. And then Pastor Clint next week will talk about the exodus into the Red Sea and all of that when we get into the commandments. But as I was thinking about this, because there was a lot today, right? A lot. It was a lot. It was a lot for me to put together. And I'm like, okay, God, but what do you want out of this? What do you want out of this today? And I was thinking about these stories. I was thinking about, about Joseph. And I was thinking about Moses. God did an awful lot through one person. If we go back to the story of Joseph, he essentially just worked through Joseph, right? The leader. He communicated with Joseph and said, Joseph, do this and do this, and you're going to do this. And, and he worked through Joseph. And then when he got to Moses, he did the same thing. He said, I'm calling Moses, and Moses, you're going to do this. I'm not going to talk directly to the Israelites. I'm going to talk to you, and you are going to go talk to the Israelites. And so what I think we can take from this is that there is power in one person. That's your last fill-in. There is power in a single person. There was power in Joseph. There was power in Moses. And there is power in you. Why is there power in Joseph? Because he's following God. Why is there power in Moses? Because he's following God. How can there be power in you if you follow God? I'm going to fast forward a few hundred or thousand years here. We are in the same genealogy as Abraham. In these two stories, that's the genealogy of Abraham that God says, I am going to, I'm going to bless you because of that genealogy. And it goes through, and it goes through um, Judah and down through David and into Jesus. And then the New Testament, it says, we can be adopted into that genealogy through Jesus Christ. So if you have Jesus, you have that genealogy, you have God. And there is power in you. You can do just as much as Joseph and just as much as Moses if you have God. And that is what God wanted me through all this story and all this and the genealogy and all this. I think he wants to tell you that you have power in God through his son, Jesus. That's what we can take away from today. There's a lot in there. I'm going to bring Lyndon up. We're going to. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.